let's dive into our message today. <clears throat> Almost lost my voice that last uh, worship set. Come on, uh, that was good. Can we just give it up for our worship team? That was great. I tell you, between the between the worship set and the kids video, I mean, I think I might just pray us out. Okay, um, <laughs> but uh, I want to talk today from the vantage point of really a phrase uh, that is used in the Christmas narrative, uh, and that is peace on earth. Peace is something, I think if we were to, you know, survey anyone, uh, go out to Bethesda Road this, this afternoon for lunch, that people would say, I want more peace. <laughs> uh, we all could use a little more peace. And it's one of the statements the angels make, a, a strong proclamation when they say peace on earth. Um, and there's a, there's a, when you understand the context, you understand how, how powerful of a proclamation they make. And it's a proclamation that has had reverberations through the generations, and it will to the end of time. So I want to talk today from this idea of how do we experience this peace on earth that the angels are talking about. Uh, I don't know about you, but have you ever had your peace disrupted? I did a couple months ago, obviously it's a, it's a minor scale, but uh, for me personally, as a pastor, uh, I, I, since I work on the weekends, uh, my day off is, is Monday. And on an occasional Monday, not as frequent as I wish it was, um, I take a nap. Come on, how many of you know as an adult, naps, the Lord, God is just in naps. Anybody, you know what I'm saying? Like your kids try to fight naps and you're like, do not fight it. You will one day regret it, right? So it's rare. This one Monday, the kids were at school. I, I had a, you know, kind of a 30 minute nap I was planning. Fell asleep and uh, I don't even know how long I was asleep, but I was, I was woken up by my one-year-old golden doodle puppy um, and kind of startled me. And disrupted my sleep, disrupted my peace. And obviously at that point when you're woken up from a nap, it's hard to get back to sleep. Uh, but that's a, that's a minor level. But here's the reality for all of our lives. There are things in life, maybe you've discovered this, that can rob us of our peace. It can be an unexpected health report from the doctor. You went in for this kind of routine exam and maybe some things came back that you weren't expecting. Um, it can be a call from a loved one that maybe they were in an accident. Um, it can be an unexpected financial expense. Come on, you thought it was just a maintenance visit for your HVAC. Next thing you know, Merry Christmas, you're getting a new HVAC. Come on, somebody. <laughs> and, and all of a sudden, these, these things, maybe it can be at work. Like work's been going great, but then your colleague leaves, and then your boss has this awesome idea. We're going to take their role and your role and put it into one role and give it to you. Come on, somebody. And next thing you know, peace gone, right? And this is a reality of life, that there are things vying for our peace. So when the angels declared peace, that even contextually in that time, it was a profound statement that they were declaring peace for everybody. Uh, I want to read to us the, the Christmas story out of Luke 2 in a moment. And I want to talk about how we can experience this peace, not, not a temporary peace, not a, not a momentary peace, not the kind of peace you get when you lie your head down at night, not the kind of peace you get when that year-end bonus hits the bank account, not the kind of peace you get when you get promoted or the kind of peace you get when the health report comes back clear, but a peace that you can have 
regardless of the situation. That's the peace that Jesus came to give us. But let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It's truly a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. God, as we open up ourselves, we want to, to hear from you. Uh, Father, we just thank you for it. And it's in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, Luke 2, if you have your Bibles, we're going to read uh, verse 8 through 14. Um, We'll have it on the screens if you don't have it before you. It says this, verse 8, There were shepherds living out the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. They were terrified. But the angel said, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Now this this statement was powerful for a number of reasons. But one of them was this angel declares peace for all people. If you know your history, you might be familiar with this term, but when Jesus was born, it was a time in history known as the Pax Romana. The Pax Romana was this 200-year period of time in which there was a, a peace that was declared and enforced by the Roman government. And there was peace. There was no war. There was no strife. There was stability. However, it was primarily peace for a certain group of people Namely, the Roman elite, because it was enforced by the Roman government, the Roman army. If you were a person, if you were a Jewish individual at that time, it was not a peaceful time for you. The Jewish people were being oppressed in a number of ways. So when these angels appear and they declare peace on earth, the shepherds may have been like, hey, angels, have you checked the Twitter feed recently? (laughs) Or I guess it's X now. Hey, angels, have you, have you watched the news? Have you seen what Caesar's doing? It's not peace for us, these Jewish men would have said. But the peace that angels were proclaiming was far deeper. They weren't coming to give them peace from the oppression of Caesar. They weren't coming to give them the peace of a stable economy for the Jewish people. No, a far deeper peace, a far more impactful peace, a peace not just for the Jewish people but for all people that they came to give in the form of the birth of Jesus. And that is the gift of Christmas, the gift of peace that Jesus came to give. I want to share with you three types of peace that God wants to give us today and honestly through all of our life. Here's the first one. If you're taking notes, and if you're not taking notes, just write this down somewhere, okay? (laughs) Number one is he wants to give you a peace of mind. He wants to give you a peace of mind. Solomon, known as one of the wisest men to ever lived, very successful, a king, powerful, wealthy. He wrote this, it is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest. Some of you use that verse to give the reason why you don't get up early. Come on, somebody. See, (laughs) see, I got to sleep in. Eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Another word for that is peace. So Solomon's making an observation in his own life and looking at culture. 
He said, you're going through life and you're anxiously toiling, you're striving, you're working, you're grasping for peace. And he's saying some of you are trying to grasp peace and hard work and accomplishments. Maybe that next degree, that next promotion. You're grasping for peace and, and maybe a certain salary number. You think if there was a certain number behind that dollar sign on your on your letter from your boss, there would be peace. You're seeking peace from a certain number in your bank account or your 401k statement. Or you think that there's certain peace is going to come when, when you get married. Or you think that a certain peace is going to come when you have those kids. Or peace will come when you're in that dream home. And Solomon says, if you're not careful, you can have this endless pursuit of peace that will always be, without, be apart from your grasp. Because it's an empty pursuit. That's what he's saying. A few months ago, I lost my wallet. And the evening I realized it, I was looking in our house. I, I looked in our living room. I looked in our family room. looked in my bedroom. I even looked in the junk drawer. Come here, I have a junk drawer. Or like, like everything ends up there. It's wonderful. I even looked. My daughter, Abigail, she's five years old. She has this propensity to take some of mom and dad's things and in her like make-believe time, she puts them in her bags. So true story, we found our keys in her bags. Uh, so I thought maybe Abigail's playing with dad's wallet and my wallet's in her bag, it wasn't her bag. But a half an hour, no luck, and I thought to myself, well, I'm gonna let it rest for the night and figure out tomorrow. So I get in my car the next morning. I look down to my right-hand side of my driver's seat and to what do my wonder sides appear but my wallet. Listen, I could have looked for two hours, two days, two weeks in my house for that wallet, but I never would have found it. Here's what Solomon says. You, you can try to look for peace for the rest of your life from your work, from, you, from, from a certain number in your bank account, from a certain relationship status, but it's an empty pursuit. Have you ever realized this? You ever have this thought? I know I have. So I'm speaking from experience where you think, man, it's just the next thing. Then I'll have peace, right? If I just have this much in my bank account, I'll be at peace. If I just have this level in my, in my organization, then I'll be at peace. Once I get that degree done, then I'll be at peace. Once my kids are this age, then we'll have peace. And then you get to that point, right? Come on. And then you're like, once I get to the next stage, then I'll have peace. And what is it? It's an endless pursuit of a peace that will always end up being empty. But where, does, where, does, where does peace come from? Isaiah 26.3, Isaiah the prophet. He says, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast. Watch this. Because they trust in you. Because they trust you. One of the things I've grown to love, especially I feel like with each passing year, is I really enjoy the process of flying. Um, I don't enjoy uh, being in the airport. I like being in the air. But I enjoy flying. And, and part of the reason I, I find um, I myself have a hard time sleeping on air, airplanes. For those of you who do, God bless you. Um, uh, if you do fall asleep on airplanes, just don't lean your head against the person next to you. Um, make it part of your New Year resolution 2024 to not do that. Um, for those of us who cannot sleep, it's not enjoyable. Um, but I, I like to get work done in the air. For whatever reason, I don't know why, I feel like I can focus better when I'm on an airplane. 
maybe the recycled air helps me. I don't know. But I get up, and whether it's a two-hour flight, three-hour flight, I feel like I get far more done than I do in, in eight hours on land. Um, so anyways, when I'm up in an airplane and I get onto the flight and I sit down, um, I, I never have a thought when I'm on the airplane is our pilot going to get us to the destination? <laughs> like, does this guy or does this woman actually know where she's going? I never think that, right? Now, I do wonder, will we get there on time? Come on, somebody. <laughs> but I never wonder, do they know where they're going? Do they know how they're going to get there, right? Because they have training and they have, you know, all of the help and the systems to help them to get where we're supposed to, to go. So it gives me a great sense of peace. I don't fly with this anxiety because I trust in, in the pilot. I have a peace. And, and here's, here's the truth I want to I submit to you. We trust a pilot when we get on a plane because we know that even before he or she takes off, they know how to arrive at our destination. And watch this. Isaiah 46 says this, that we have a God who knows the end from the beginning. So watch this. Before your year even starts, he already knows how it's going to end. Hey, hey, before your kids even age another year, he knows how their life's going to end up. Hey, before you even, even launch that business, he already knows how successful it's going to be. He already knows it's going to happen next year in your job. You can trust a pilot who is an imperfect human to get us from one place to another. We can trust an all-knowing God who knows the end from the beginning, whose ways are higher than our ways, whose thoughts are higher than our thoughts. We can trust him with our life. And when we, when we can learn to place our trust in him, Isaiah says, you'll experience perfect peace. Isaiah didn't say, when everything works out in your life, then you'll have peace. When every bill's paid and you have no debt, then you'll have peace. When you're in the dream job, then you'll have peace. When you move into the desired home, then you'll have peace. No, he says, you'll have perfect peace if you'll just keep your trust in God. Psalm 34, David, uh, who when we read the Christmas story, it's the town of David. It's referring to this David. Uh, later, he became known as King David. He wasn't king yet in this scripture. Psalm 34, he's actually um, running from King Saul. If you don't know the story, let me give you context. Uh, king Saul was essentially his boss, his supervisor. And um, it, it was a contentious relationship, to say the least. Um, Saul was literally running after David to kill him. Come on. Uh, maybe you have a contentious relationship with your boss. Hopefully, they're not hurling spears at you. Um, if they are, tell HR tomorrow morning, okay? I believe that's against HR law. Um, I mean, if it not, it should be. But that was David's life. And he penned Psalm 34 in the middle of it. So if David was alive today, he would post this on his Instagram story. And he says, he says in Psalm 34, 10, I love this. Uh, Even strong young lions sometimes go hungry. Watch this. But those who trust in the Lord will lack no good thing. Running for his life, the man whose job that the Lord told him he will have one day is trying to take his life. So he's not promised tomorrow, but he says, man, I'm trusting in God and I'm lacking no good thing. 
hey, I want you to write this down because you might need this next year. Is that you can trust God even when life is hard. Like, I don't know what your 2024 is going to look like. I don't. And, and here's what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to tell you that 2024 is going to be a year of just, just easy and light. Because I don't know. But I know this. That regardless of whatever hard you face, you can have peace by trusting in God. Because those who trust in God will lack no good thing. Well, Pastor, how do, I, how do I apply this practically, right? What's this mean to trust God? It's great. But how do I do this tomorrow morning? Well, let's look at Jesus, Matthew 6. I love this, this conversation he has with his disciples. For he's speaking about anxiety and worry. And he says it so plainly. He says, do not worry about what shall we eat, what shall we drink, what shall we wear. For the pagans or those who are far from me run after these things. But your heavenly father knows you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Watch this. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. If anybody else other than Jesus said this, I would say that's too good to be true. Right? Just don't worry. Don't worry about that business and you're in the red another month. Hey, don't worry about your child having those struggles at school when you're concerned. Hey, don't worry about that negative health report. Hey, don't worry about that sick relative, right? But it's Jesus, the Son of God, the sinless one, the one who gave his life for you and me. I think we can trust his words. So he's not flippantly just saying words to placate you. He is saying powerful truth. He's saying, listen, the key to not worrying, but this way, the key to peace for next year is put God first. That's what he says. You just put him first. And all, he says, your heavenly father knows what you need. If you just put him first. For some of you, here's my challenge for you. And here's my question for you. Is God first in your life? And just be honest with yourself and God. You know, this morning, someone told me, he said, Pastor, years ago, a couple years ago, I was, I was passionate for God. He said, my family and I were, were faithful to, to church, and I was seeking God, prayer, and script, all of it. He said, but I've, the busyness of life, I've, I've kind of drifted away. I haven't been in church in several years. I've been far from God. And I thought to myself, you know what I found personally as well as in pastoring people? Is that typically is how it happens for most of us. It's not like you're passionate about God today, and then tomorrow you're like, I'm done with it, right? Here's what it looks like. It's a slow drift. And here's how it usually happens. The same way happened to my friend. The busyness of life. is actually, you know, all the other demands. Because the demands are real. Can I be honest? The demands are real, aren't they? Like, you got to get up tomorrow morning and go to work, right? you got to raise those kids. you got to pay those bills, you got to take care of that plumbing issue in your house. I'm preaching myself a few weeks ago. Come on, somebody. <laughs> you, 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 have to, you have to, man, complete your coursework for your program. Right? You have to. But what can happen if we're not careful is all these demands of life. I'll say it this way. Sometimes if we're not careful, the very things that God's blessed us with, the blessings of life can take precedence over the one who's given us the blessings. 
And, and here's my challenge for you. That's for you. Number one, I want to commend you. You're here. I'm not, and, but here's my challenge for you this next year is to put God back in his first place. So say, I'm going to put faith back on my priority. It doesn't mean I'm, I'm putting aside all the other responsibilities. I'm just going to seek God first. I'm going to get a little more practical for you. Is make church a priority once again. Watch this. I'm not telling you this to say, hey, just attend church on Sundays. Here at Catalyst, here's what we want for you. We want to take you on a spiritual journey. We want more for you than just to be someone who attends church. We want you to, number one, we want you to know God. Have a real, vibrant relationship with Jesus where you're growing in your faith. We want you to find freedom. And here's how you know you have areas to find freedom because we all have them, right? What's that area of your life that if it got better, it'd make the rest of your life better? We all got that one area, right? You know it, right? It's on that New Year's goal list, right? It's that one area. God wants to help you get traction in that area. We want to help you discover your unique God-given purpose. God has created you on purpose and he's created you for a purpose which is ultimately to make an eternal difference with your life. That's what God desires for you. That's what we want for you. So go all in next year with us. Like next year, be here on the 7th. We're going to kick off the year at 21 days of prayer and fasting. Join us for that. Some of you maybe are newer to church. You're thinking, you're telling me not to eat for three weeks? Come on, somebody. Uh, it's not our New Year's weight loss plan, okay? Um, I'm going to teach in a couple weeks actually on fasting. So tune into our online service on 31st. I'm going to give you real practical to help you. But I'm telling you, if you'll if you engage with us in so 21 days of prayer, um, I believe it can change your life for the better. And I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not overselling it. I'm, I'm serious because it has in my own life. I can point back to years of this. It will draw you closer to God. And here's what I believe. And I found this to be true, and I found this in pastoring people. If you make next year your best year spiritually, it will become your best year personally. That's what Jesus says. Seek first the kingdom of God and all the other things. So engage with us. Uh, we'll start community groups in February. Man, get involved in community. Get involved. Serve on our dream team. Get involved in the life of the church. I believe your life will be better because of it. Say 2024, I'm going to go all in here at Catalyst Church. and uh, But also... For, for the rest of you, maybe you're already putting God first in that way. You're saying, I'm, I'm making church a priority. I'm reading the Bible. I'm praying most days. Here's my question for you. Is what area of your life do you need to put God first in a greater way? Because we all have an area that God could be first in a, in a more significant way, myself included. So what area for you is that? Because I believe as we put God first, we'll find more peace of mind. Here's point number two. Is he wants to give us peace in our heart. Let's give us peace in our heart. John 14, 27, Jesus said, peace I leave with you. My peace, he says, I give you. I don't give as the world gives it. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Jesus is about to go to the cross to give his life for all of humanity, including us. And he's telling his disciples, because they're about to experience this. I'm about to be betrayed and uh, crucified, but don't be troubled. He said, I'm leaving you a peace. The peace he was referring to was his spirit or the Holy Spirit. He said, I'm leaving you, that I'll always be with you. That's why he's God Emmanuel. He's God with us. He's, he's with us through his spirit. Several years back when our youngest Abigail was yet to be born, uh, Christina had a doctor's appointment. So I had my two oldest uh, who at the time were five and two. 
And I had taken them to uh, Chick-fil-A for lunch. And by myself with a five and two-year-old, I'm going to be honest, I was in over my head. I was, uh, I, I outpunted my coverage. I had no help. I was, I was very concerned for myself. And I was at, uh, uh, we were eating God's chicken, Chick-fil-A. And, um, and uh, the kids had their six-piece nugget and their waffle fries and uh, now five-piece nuggets they have. Um, not that I know that information. Um, <laughs> But they were, they were enjoying And Judah, um, he, he was like two nuggets deep, and he ran out of Chick-fil-A sauce. Now, he loves Chick-fil-A sauce. Um, and so, so all of a sudden, I'm kind of I'm processing. I have, I have two young children. Like, how am I going to get the more Chick-fil-A sauce? There's like 85 people in the restaurant, very crowded, very busy. I don't want to leave them alone, be negligent. So I'm like trying to process, how can I get the sauce and still see them and get fat fast? Then all of a sudden, this angel appears. This, this woman, this older woman wearing a red Chick-fil-A polo shirt. She says, sir, can I help you? I said, yes, you can. I said, my children need, you know, we need about three more Chick-fil-A sauce. She says, my pleasure. I said, well, thank you. <laughs> and then she comes back and, and, and then she says, sir, can I do anything else for you? I just finished my Diet Coke. I said, actually, can I, can I get some more Diet Coke? She said, my pleasure. I said, well, thank you. You got to love that about Chick-fil-A, right? Everything's my pleasure. And, and then she comes back a third time. By that time, my kids had finished lunch. And I promised them, you know, I do what most parents do, right? This is like, write this note down. This is the art of persuasion. I said, children, if you eat all of your lunch, your father will give you ice cream. Come on, somebody. Uh, listen, if you want your kids to eat all your dinner, just promise them sugar at the end of it. Listen, I'm not saying it's going to benefit their health, but it's going to help your mental health, okay? I mean, you can't have a win-win. You got you to lose somewhere and win somewhere, okay? So, um, so she came back a third time, and I said, I promised my kids ice cream. Could you bring ice cream? She said, my pleasure. Come on, somebody. How can you not love Chick-fil-A? <laughs> so uh, she came back, and can I tell you, that visit, which started in stress, became very peaceful because I had help. One of the words for the Holy Spirit or God's Spirit in Scripture is helper. Here's what Jesus says. It's actually better I go because I'm leaving you with some help. I'm leaving you with my spirit. So I'm giving you peace through the whole. It means you don't have to navigate parenting alone. You have the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. You don't have to navigate the complexities of your job and your organization alone. You have the help of the Holy Spirit. That's how the Apostle Paul puts it plainly. In my weakness, I actually boast because I have the strength of the Spirit of God in my life that we don't have to go through life alone. In the presence of God, we can have peace. Listen, the presence of God is not just what we experience on Sunday, although we do. It's one of the, the powers of gathering as a church in the presence of God with the people of God. But God is always present with us. You can be in the presence of God tomorrow morning with a cup of coffee, talking to God in prayer. And listen, here's the question. The question is not, is, not, is God with me? The question is, am I aware of God's presence around me? Because God's always with me. In his presence, there is peace. In his presence, the Bible says, there's fullness of joy. So it's me being aware of the presence of God and just talking to God, having a, a moment with God. Philippians 4, the Apostle Paul said, anxious 
about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition and thanksgiving, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Now, this seems like a strong statement. Like, could you imagine, you know, as your pastor, I'm just telling you, hey, do not worry about anything, right? Don't be anxious. Well, Paul has some moral authority because he writes this from prison. I had this thought this week. If Paul can have peace in prison, I can have peace on Thursday. Come on, somebody. <laughs> right? I mean, I'm just being. So he's saying don't be anxious. But then he gives us kind of a, I think, a framework. I love to look for practical application, which the Bible's full of it. So Paul says uh, everything with prayer. That word prayer in the original language means to enter into the presence of God. Petition means the request you have, like what you need. And then with thanksgiving. And then he says the peace of God will guard your heart. In the Greek, that word guard, to give you a word picture, is like soldiers guarding a fortress. Have you ever tried to, maybe many of you serve in our military, and I thank God for you. Um, but when you pull into a military base, you can't just drive through a military base, right? You ha- like you're stopped by guards, by soldiers who check you in as you come in to make sure that you, there's good reason for you to be here. <laughs> Here's what he says. The peace of God guards your heart in the same way soldiers guard a fortress. Or guard- Here's what this means. Watch this. Paul doesn't say the peace of God comes because God will answer all your prayers within 24 hours. He doesn't say the peace of God will come because God's going to move immediately. No, the peace of God comes because you prayed. So even if nothing changes in your life, even if the conditions of your life get worse, which they did for Paul, you can have peace because the peace of God protects your heart. So he gives us what I think is an antidote for your anxiety. Now, I'm speaking about everyday types of anxiety, not clinical levels of anxiety, but everyday anxiety. He gives us some antidote. Ready? He says, number one, is spend time in the presence of God. I already said this, but God's always present with us. The question is, are we aware of him? Secondly, he said, present your requests. So watch this. Tell God what you need. Do not just tell God what you think he wants to hear. Can I be, I've, been, I've, been, I've been guilty of that in prior prayers. You ever have a moment where you pray and you get done and you're like, I didn't tell him everything. <laughs> right? Like it sounded good, right? You hit your prayer list, but you didn't tell him about the stress you're under at work. You didn't tell him about the anxiety you feel in your marriage. Tell him everything. And then he says with thanksgiving. So have a posture of gratitude. I'm telling you, I I, I spoke on this last week, but there's something powerful about gratitude in your life. Just being grateful. I shared this last week, I'll share it again. That before you even ask God to do anything, thank him for what he's already done. It'll help your heart, it'll help your spirit, it'll help your prayer. 1 Peter 5, 7, Peter says it this way. He says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. There's, a, there's an Old Testament version of this in Psalm 55 where the psalmist writes, cast your, get, cast your burdens upon the Lord and he will sustain you. So, so Peter is saying this. I love the practicality. Give your anxiety to God, he says. I love it. And, and P- Peter presumes you're going to have anxieties, right, which we all do. We're going to have stress. We're going to have burdens. 
Anybody here in the room, you would say, you would consider yourself when you, when it comes to traveling, a light packer. Any light packers in the room? Come on. Like when you go on a trip, you're proud of yourself that you went on a 10-day trip with only a carry-on. Where are you at? Come on. You walk around the airport all, all proud of yourself, right? You walk by those checking bags. You're like, huh, look at those fools checking bags. I see you. I love you. I see you, though. I see you. Where are my prepared packers? Where are you at? Come on, somebody. I am you. I am you. Come on. Here's my worst fear. One of my worst fears. Ready? Is, is running out of socks in a foreign city. Because I don't know where to buy socks. And then what if, what if I don't get the right socks? Because socks are important. I think socks are one of the most undervalued parts of our clothing. Because you are literally standing on your socks all day. So if you don't have good socks, psh, your day's shot. It can ruin your whole trip, right? So I, if I have a four-day trip, I pack eight days worth of socks because I might step on a nail. I might, I might, I might get my feet wet, right? And then I don't, I don't know what the climate's like because we live in the D.C. area, right? It's 65 one day, 22 the next. Come on, somebody. Welcome to December in D.C., right? So I, I, I'll, I'll wear sweatshirts and T-shirts because you don't know what's going to happen. And then I don't know if I'm feeling casual or classy, so I'll bring my J's, and I'll bring dress shoes, and who knows, I'll bring some boots, right? you got to be prepared. Where are you at? You see, this is my service. You're with me, okay? 8.30 was full of light packers. I was like, I can't believe it. I was all alone. Listen, you light packers make room on the plane for us prepared packers. And thank you in advance when you forgot your toothbrush and we hooked you up. Come on, somebody. You're welcome when you're like, oh, I forgot socks. It's okay. I got 17, right? You're welcome in advance, in advance. So Christina and I had a trip this summer. We were gone for six days. And we're actually going to two different places so, and two different climates. So we, 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 we packed. Now, 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 Christina won't admit this, but she's not in this service. So I, can, I can tell you the truth. Don't tell her I said this. But she's also a prepared packer, okay? She thinks she's a light packer, but I've slowly pulled her to the right side, okay? Now, she's not to my level yet, but, you know, we all have goals, right? So we, were, we, we, I, we literally had three large bags in DCA that I was carrying um, for our trip. And, yes, one of them was also overweight, and I'm not ashamed to say it, okay? Um, just when you, when you, this is a little pro tip. When you do an overweight bag, only go up to 52 pounds. Because once you hit 53, they'll charge you, okay? They'll give you grace for the first few, okay? Not that I ever worked that system. Maybe. So I'm, I'm pulling the bags. And I'm, I'm, I'm struggling, right? In fact, this is how significant it is. My Apple Watch is like, are you working out right now? <laughs> I was like, well, yes, I am. Count those steps. Make me feel better. I love the Apple Watch. Make you feel better about yourself. It's like, are you working out? No, I'm just going up the stairs. But if you're going to call it that, come on, call it it. Thank you, Apple. Uh, so I'm, I'm struggling with the bags. We get in. We go to the American line. We check in. And then we finally get to, you know, the luggage drop at DCA Airport. And we dropped the bags off, and it felt so light. It was like all I had was a book bag. I'm like, oof. That feels good, you know. But here's the reality for all of us. I want to illustrate this for us. So the same way I was carrying lots of baggage, 
we can carry a lot of baggage in our own life. In fact, my team wants to illustrate this point. Uh, thank you. Is that we can have uh, baggage that we are carrying with us. And here's what I want to submit to you. The baggage can look like are the different anxieties and worries and burdens that we have in our life. And here's what I want to submit to you. Sometimes I find in my own life personally that if I'm feeling exhausted or overwhelmed, it's not often, it's not always because the responsibilities of my life have increased. It's because I'm carrying anxieties and burdens I were not designed to carry by myself. And may I submit, some of you are feeling exhausted right now because you're carrying baggage you were not intended to carry by yourself. So it can look like this, that you can be going through maybe this year, and again, you're one of those employees that you were gifted um, with the gift of two jobs for the cost of one. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Thank you to your ex-coworker. Um, and, and you're having to carry this extra responsibility and you have more projects and now more staff you're overseeing or, and you just feel a little bit overwhelmed. Or maybe you got a new boss and the, the relationship's not as strong and it feels adding some more tension on there. So you're carrying around this, this weight of this burden. And then you add on to that, you have maybe for you, it's, it's your kids. You, that, that, the second grade was great. Third grade's been a struggle. And you're, you're carrying that weight as a parent of why is my child having this struggle? Maybe elementary school was smooth, but middle school has been a challenge. And you're, you're now carrying these burdens with you. And then you add on to that some financial stress. It's already a tight budget and with inflation. And then you add on to that, you know, you had someone come out for plumbing or you had an HVAC issue, maybe a routine HVAC maintenance. And then all of a sudden you find out you're getting a new HVAC system for Christmas. Merry Christmas to you. Um, so you got that as well. And then next thing you know, you have aging parents you're having to care for. And next thing you realize, you're like this, trying to go through life. And you're just like, how do I shh. And you're like, you're overwhelmed trying to move through life. And you're carrying all this burden, all this anxiety. And you're overwhelmed. And you've had nights that you wake up and you can't go back to sleep because your mind's racing. Or you've had mornings where you wake up and the first thoughts you have in your mind provoke anxiety about that meeting at work today. Or you find yourself getting a call from the school, that anxiety rises up again. Now, anxieties will happen because Peter says you cast your anxieties. Burdens are going to happen. The psalmist says you give your burdens to God. So what do we have to do in prayer? In prayer, we have to be honest with God about what we're anxious about, about what we're burdened by about what's causing us to feel overwhelmed. You don't have to feel bad about being overwhelmed or burdened or anxious. But here's my encouragement to you is you cast your anxieties on God because your heavenly father cares for you. So what do you do in prayer is you begin to tell God, God, I give you this anxiety of caring for my aging parents. I wasn't ready for this yet. God, I give you the anxiety of this financial stress. I, I wasn't prepared for that yet. God, I give you the anxiety of the, the struggles my kids were having. God, I give you, I'm overwhelmed. I'm concerned for them. God, I give you the struggles of the extra responsibility at work. And here's, here's why. The anxieties will come. The burdens will come. 
But we cast our anxieties on him because he cares for us. And Paul says this is how we can experience the peace that guards our heart. Maybe for some of you this week, you just got to have an honest conversation with God. That's how you start your morning tomorrow. Just have an honest conversation with God. Like maybe for some of you, even just this time of year, right? Your kids are home from school. You have all this work pressure. Plus you have all the Christmas, and it can just feel like, a, man, just give those burdens to God because he cares for you. Amen? Amen? He wants to give you peace in your heart. This last and final peace is perhaps the most important, and that is peace with God. Peace with God. Isaiah 49.2, rather, says, he says, it is your sins that have cut you off from God. Because of your sin, he has turned away and will not listen anymore. Here's the Bible tells us that your sin, my sin, all of our sin, which sins, mistakes, which we've all had, every prideful moment you've had, every time greed gripped your heart, every time you had a lustful thought, every time you knew the right thing to do, but you didn't do it, it says that our sin separates us from God. That we have imposed a conflict on our relationship with God because of our sin. And here's why. Because the Bible says God, he's, he is a holy and perfect God. And in our imperfections and our sin, we cannot approach him. So what that means is, is that we needed a mediator to resolve the conflict. Romans 5.1 says we have been justified through faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul says we can have peace by faith in Christ. Growing up, uh, my, my sister, I have two older sisters, and the one closest to me, uh, we would have a lot of sibling rivalry. And oftentimes that conflict could not be resolved by herself. Like I was recalling in preparation for this message one particular time. Um, I was probably like an adolescent preteen. She was a late teen. And we decided um, this cannot be resolved without mom. Come on. It's that phrase you hear in every, every, every home. I'm going to get mom. Come on, somebody. <laughs> and we waited for mom to come home. And mom, as she always would, resolved the conflict. We needed a mediator. Here's what the Bible says. Because of your sin, you, you in and of your own efforts could never resolve the conflict you have with God. Because the Bible says even one sin will permanently break the relationship, which all of us have. And you couldn't do enough good things. You couldn't become moral enough. You couldn't work your way up to enough integrity. There's no form of self-righteousness that would ever give you the opportunity to come into the presence of Almighty God. And we say in the Old Testament, they had to make sacrifices for their sins. Because of that, we needed a mediator, and our mediator is Jesus. In fact, in his birth, it actually was pointing to his mediation act, his death. Let me give you context. The Bible says he was born in a manger. And we see those nativity scenes, and we see that little manger. A manger was a feeding trough. It was used for animals. Let me dive a little bit deeper. Historical context. 
when Jesus was born was the time of year when the shepherds, the angels appeared to, were raising young lambs to be offered for sacrifice. And here's what the shepherds would do. Before the, the lambs got old enough, they would take the lambs and they would place them in a manger to be prepared for their sacrifice. So when the shepherds show up to the scene and they see a baby, a human baby lying in a manger, it spoke to them what John said in John 1.29 when he first saw Jesus. He said, look, it's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That even in his birth, it spoke to this child's death because of my sin, because of your sin. We needed a mediator. We needed a sinless, spotless sacrifice. The Lamb of God who has taken away the sin of the world. And that is the gift of Christmas. Not a momentary peace. Not a momentary anxiety to leave you. But no, but an eternal peace with God so that we can come and stand in the presence of an almighty, perfect, holy God. Because now when God sees us, he sees the sinless, spotless, perfect Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. That's why we were singing, Oh, holy night. It wasn't holy because of the shepherds or the angels or even Mary or Joseph. It was holy because of a baby who was wrapped in swaddling clothes, who one day would be wrapped in clothes in a grave that he would rise again from so that you and I could have peace with God. That's why Paul said in Ephesians 2.14, he says he, referring to Christ, himself is our peace. He's our peace. Matthew 11, my final scripture, Jesus was talking to his disciples and he was, he was prophetically speaking to what he was going to do for everyone. He says, come to me all who are weary and carry heavy burdens. Because under Mosaic law, they were carrying the burden for their own sin. And he saw it, the burden of religion. He said, come to me and I will give you rest. He wasn't saying, well, I'm gonna give you a great nap. He wouldn't just say, I'll give you peace for the morning. He said, I'm going to give your soul a rest for all of eternity. Glory to God in the highest. Peace on earth on whom his favor rests. The peace of God because of the Lamb of God who's taken away the sin of the world. This is the message of Christmas. Should you to bow your heads, church?